So just over two weeks ago, my oldest daughter, Bella, playing soccer over in Klamath Falls. Uh, she's a captain, uh, a striker. Um, the team at that point was ranked number one. They were the defending state champions from the year before. She receives a free kick. She dribbles, drives in, kicks for the goal. The goalie comes out, collides with her left leg and breaks her tibia and her fibula. So tib-fib break, yeah. We were normally would be at that game, but it was my oldest daughter's birthday. So we were out at sushi with her and all of her friends. And we got the call. So we get in our car, start driving the two hour drive from here to Klamath Falls. I may have made that drive in faster than two hours. <laughs> We've cut that time down considerably. Um, we get into her emergency room where she's at and lots of emotions, no doubt. Uh, but things calm down. And remember, I'm standing there and I'm looking at this machine that she's hooked up to. And it's measuring all these things about Bella, my daughter. It's measuring her heart rate and her respiration and oxygen level and just tons of stuff, right? I don't even know everything that it's measuring. And so it's telling you all these facts about Bella. But do you know what it could not measure? how she was actually doing, right? It doesn't tell you how she's actually doing in that situation. But that was gonna change because the surgeon came in and, and they were gonna, it was a dislocated fracture, so the bones weren't set right. So he was going to make it right. And that required a certain kind of medication. It's called ketamine hydrochloride. Before he gave it to her, he's like, hey, listen, she's going to say some stuff and just know that, that the normal process of your brain is gone. So it just kind of comes out. And I'm like, oh no. Uh-oh. Like what is going to come out, right? Now we're going to find out how Bella's doing, right? So I'm a little concerned. They give her the medication and here's what was amazing to me. What came out of my daughter was 100% sweetness. It was like nothing I've ever seen before. It was like nothing that the doctors and nurses had ever seen before, right? So she gets this shot and then she just starts to, whatever happens in your brain with it, it just goes away and she starts looking at people and she looks at her, her the emergency room nurse, her name is Kayla. Kayla, I love you. You are just so awesome, Kayla. I love you. And then she had to get another x-ray. So the same x-ray tech that had taken the first x-ray comes back in with his machine, pushes it in. She sees him. She remembers his name. Brian, my x-ray tech. Brian, ow, 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 ow. Brian, I love your shirt, Brian. That's such a good color on you, Brian. Wow, right? <laughs> it was unbelievable. Then uh, Emma Trader and my other daughter, Gabrielle, who's on the soccer team, they came in from the field, the game was over, they came in, Emma, Gabrys, I love you guys. Oh, thank you for coming here. And then she must've forgot that I'd been there. She's like, dad, you're here. <laughs> dad, thank you, dad. Ow, 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 thank you, dad. And then like 
it's curtains around the whole thing, right? So people are hearing this. She is gifted like her dad with a voice that carries. So like random people are now like coming in and like, what is going on in here? So this receptionist, she comes in and Bella sees her. She's like, I don't know you, but you have the nicest hair I've ever seen. Wow. Your eyebrows, they're perfect. Who does your eyebrows, girl? It was hilarious. I'm like, hey, doctor, could I get some of that to take home? I wouldn't mind that down the road. You don't, heart rate, whatever it is, doesn't tell you how somebody's doing. You know what tells you how somebody's doing? Your tongue. Jesus says this, it's Luke 6, 45. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue, it is the monitor for your heart. So we're in the book of James right now, which is in your face. And James is gonna talk a lot about this six ounce auditor of the human heart. And we're gonna jump into that. So if you have your Bible, Open with me, if you would, to James chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James begins by pointing the finger at me and my job. Be careful if you want to teach God's word, because you're going to be judged stricter. Be careful. Be careful. My job, I get to handle God's word. And God's word has power. Do you know that? It has power. And if it's handled correctly, you get love and peace and shalom and you get all the good stuff of God. But this same Bible, the cults use the same Bible and they twist it and they manipulate it for selfish reasons. Same word but used incorrectly. So James says, be careful. And even if you have the purest of intentions and you wanna do a good job and you wanna rightly divide God's word, guess what? Look at verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. James just said, you're gonna blow it. Even with the best of intentions, you're gonna blow it. That's actually pretty refreshing for me because I know that's true. I had a guy, I think it was about eight years ago now. So Edgewater had been going for about six years, which means I'd preached probably about 500 times at that time. And he said, I'd gone to this job site. He was a construction worker. And when he was there, there was another guy there and they were playing a podcast of mine. And so he's doing his work, listening to this podcast. And so the guy's like, hey man, I go to Edgewater. And the sub just said, oh, and kept doing his thing. He's like, Oh, well, I thought he'd be like, hey, me too. That's awesome. He's like, well, you, you don't go? He's like, no. 
Well, do you like the teachings or something? No. Why are you listening to them? This is what the guy said. He said, I'm trying to find out all the mistakes that Matt, Matt made. I was like, whoa. I told him, hey, just have the dude email me. I'll tell him all the mistakes I've made. I'll just send him the ones, hey, this one I really screwed up on, listen to it. You'll find all kinds of garbage in that one. Because as a teacher, you better know verse two, you're gonna stumble. You better stumble. You're gonna stumble. And so as a teacher, you better have real humility. You better be willing to say some things like, number one, I screwed up. And number two, I don't know. Those are, to me, two of the most important phrases if you're gonna do my job. Hey, I screwed up. I've changed, I've learned something, I've developed, I'm different. I'm a different teacher today than I was 14 years ago. Praise God. Hopefully I'm growing and being reformed and being renewed in my mind. And then when you don't know something, you just admit it. Yeah, I don't know. So it begins with my job. Be humble, be careful. But then he begins to give these illustrations of this little six ounce auditor. Listen to what he says, verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. There's two analogies of the tongue. First, a bit with a horse. Who in here owns horses? I will put you on my prayer list. <laughs> so I think nine years ago, my oldest daughter who loves horses, we bought two horses. I'm pretty sure these two horses are gonna be the horses of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter six. Like, what in the world? So I have zero horse sense. In fact, horses scare me. They're just big and they're scary to me. They're not cute. They're not nice. They're big and scary. So we brought these two horses to our house. And within 36 hours of them being there, my wife and my daughter decide they're going to go for a horse ride. Now, I wanted nothing to do with them. So I just walked down to the field where they're getting them ready. And I'm standing there watching them. And so my wife is getting misty, the bigger the two ready. And I'm kind of over by my wife, just kind of watching what's going on. And she's putting the saddle on and she's getting ready to cinch that saddle up when that horse turned back towards her, bared its lips, pulled out its teeth and was about ready to bite my wife's arm. Now I am not a horse person, but I'm a husband. And I just went wham and I whacked that horse in the head. I'm like, you will not bite my wife. You are not doing that. That horse just went up like this, giant eye. And I just thought it was gonna go bam and stomp me. I'm like, ah, uh-oh. This is really, really tense right now. And so I just told my kids, I said, hey, kids get in the barn. I don't know what's happening here, but this is not right. And so I grabbed that horse by the lead rope and I took it over to the barn and I tied it to the barn. You should never tie a horse up. I learned that lesson that day. So I tied it up and then I just backed away from it. I'm like, ah, this thing's got this big eye and it's looking at me right now. <laughs> and then for some reason, the horse just flipped out. It started bucking and kicking and, but, but the bride or the lead rope was still tied to the barn. So as it's bucking around, the bride rope would go slack and then get tense and just 
it just was, it was insane, right? One of my kids just started crying. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what to do. But I remembered in a movie, <laughs> when a horse is crazy, you run up to that horse and you go, whoa, right? So I'm like, I don't have anything else. I might as well try that. So I ran right toward that horse's head and I just said, whoa, and the horse just went. I'm like, ah, look at that. I was like, yes. But like a movie, right in that moment, the saddle that never got cinched up, it just went whoop, right underneath it. Round two, that horse freaked out again. It's just bucking and going crazy. Somehow, to this day, I don't know how it did it. That horse got its back hoof on the stirrup. That stirrup is connected with a giant piece of leather. It kicked and broke that leather strap and sent that stirrup, I don't know, 7,000 feet. Just bang, I was like, ah, that could happen to me. And I thought to myself again, well, last time that thing worked, maybe if I do it again, it's all I got. I don't have anything else. So a second time I just ran that horse's head and I said, whoa, and the horse just went and stopped. I'm like, okay. We untacked it and we let that demon, I mean that horse go. (laughs) We call up the previous owner. I want to say, come get this thing. She comes over and this is what we had done wrong. We'd put the bit from the smaller horse on the bigger horse and it was angry. Do bits matter? Oh, I learned a very important lesson about bits that day. The bit you choose matters. James says, that bit that can do all that damage or all that control is just like a tongue. And then he gives a second example. These giant ships are steered by this tiny little rudder and they're either steered into the port or they're steered into reefs and wrecks. And he says, those things are like the tongue. Both of them have somebody that controls them, right? The rudder has a pilot or a captain that controls it. The horse with the bit has a rider that uses that bit to control. Both have a person that's in control. That's the illustration. You and I had this little six ounce auditor but it has a pilot, it has a captain. And that pilot, that captain, it's you, it's me. And the words that we speak, the words that we are constantly saying, they are the directors of our destiny. Do you know that? Your words really matter. I could give you 50 verses on it. I'll give you two. This is how important the Bible says our words are when it comes to our destiny. Number one, Romans 10, verse nine. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be, right? How powerful are your words? If you confess with your mouth, right? Number two is Matthew chapter 12. This one is one that should, for most of us, unless you are really, really, really awesome, cause you some consideration. So Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says like this, I tell you, 
On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Think about that. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. How heavy is that verse? Oh, how many careless words have I said? How many times have I hurt people with my tongue? How many wrecks have I caused? Oh, right? It's words that set you and me apart from the rest of the created order. Do you know that? It's our words. So if you look at Genesis 1, the way the Bible begins, how does God do everything he does? Words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do it? On day one, he said, let there be light and there was light. He spoke. He took the chaos of darkness and the chaos of of the disorderedness there in Genesis 1-2. And then through the words, he creates order and shalom and a place from that with his words. That's how powerful words are. That in our words, we're gonna either be creating chaos and disorder and darkness and destruction, or in our words, we're gonna be creating shalom and peace and goodness and life. We are the captains. We are the riders of this six ounce auditor, this bit, this rudder, we're it. And I think we all know this. How many of us can recall words that were spoken to us when we were a kid? that either encouraged us and brought life to us and directed us and we, we, we're just inspired by those words? Or how many can remember words that were death to us? You're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid. And when you receive those words in, they get tattooed on your soul and they continue to just leach out into your life for the rest of your life. Like I know parents that talk to their kids a certain way because of something that was said to them when they were a kid, trying to protect their kids from the same thing, but doing the same thing to their kids. That's how powerful words are. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And you and I are gonna eat, you're gonna eat the fruit of it. That's the tongue, right? And so here's the problem though. Right? So we're the captain, we're the rider, we're, we're the all that, but listen to what it says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. No longer an analogy, it is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. He goes, there's a problem though. You might be the captain. You might be the rider, but here's the problem. The tongue is a fire. It's a hell fire missile. And what could warm and encourage and help and cook food gets out of control. Remember the Canyonville fire, mile post 97 fire? How did it start? Got with a little campfire. And then boom, 13,119 acres, 
$5.1 million that you and I get to pay for. That's, that's the tongue. It can warm, it can do good things, but look out, it can get out of control and cause all kinds of damage. It gets even worse. Verse seven. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But, and this is the underliner, no human being can tame the tongue. God's word says, there's not a person in here. I don't care if you're varsity on every level. There's no person in here that can tame their tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The problem is, it's a hellfire that you can't control. We might be the pilot and we might be the rider, but guess what? The tongue has a mind of its own, controls itself. We can control all kinds of animals, right? For a biscuit, you can get your dog to walk on its back legs. Bipedal, it goes from quadpedal to bipedal for a biscuit. You go to SeaWorld, right? You get these giant killer whales, apex predators doing backflips for a sardine. Like little teeny things, people train fleas, flea circuses. Like you name it across the spectrum, we can tame and control things, but not this little six ounce auditor that simply empties the heart. We can't, we can't take care of that. And he says, the tongue is like this. It's like if you went into your house and you had this faucet and when you turned on that faucet, you weren't sure if you're gonna get sweet well water or septic waste. How would you like that faucet? Do you know people like that? That when they open the faucet of their mouth, you're not sure what you're gonna get. Am I gonna get sweet water? Or is it septic waste? That's the tongue. And I think if you're honest and you read this, you know James is right. I don't know anyone in here, unless you're, in the nursery and you haven't learned to talk yet that hasn't had their tongue get them into all kinds of trouble. So what do we do? What do we do? His diagnosis is right. What do we do? I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, he says in verse nine, with this tongue, we bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James is saying, be very careful what you say because that person that you're talking to, going back to Genesis chapter one, is an image bearer of God. They, that person is of infinite value, more valuable than anything else. When the wind and the rain erode these mountains to flat, when the sun, the engine of our solar system, 
when it finally burns out after billions of years and earth goes to negative 273.15 degrees Celsius, the person sitting next to you will still exist because they are an eternal image bearer of God. There's nothing more valuable than that person. Not the dent in your car, not the dent in your pride, not the point you're trying to make. Nothing is more valuable than that person. That's what James is saying. So be so careful. Think about that when you want to say something you should not say. You're saying it to an eternal image bearer of God. And then number two, the tongue, if you think about it, is this great gift. Verse 10, he says, hey, this two-way street of septic versus sweet water, it's not supposed to be that way. The tongue, here's what the tongue is. It's this wonderful gift. It is a monitor of your heart. Like if you want to know where your heart is at, just listen to your words. People will say to me, hey, Matt, you don't know my heart. And what I always want to say to them is this, I don't need to. I hear your words. And your words, it is the auditor of your heart. That's what Jesus says, Luke 6, 45. The way you are speaking tells me what's in the well of your heart. It's a gift then. It's the EKG of your soul. You wanna know how you're progressing in the faith? We talked about justification and sanctification last week. Justification, you're justified by God, it's his work. Sanctification is the process by which we're moved forward in the faith. You know how you're doing in sanctification? Listen to your words. Are they loving? Are they kind? Are they compassionate? Are they praiseworthy? Or are they cruel and destructive? It's the EKG of your heart. Like when I get snappier, or when I get cruel, guess what I need to say? God, what's happening in my heart? Not that person did this to me or if they would just know, God, what's happening in my heart? Because this six ounce auditor is telling me something's wrong right now, right? When I can't rejoice with somebody else when they're rejoicing, I'm having heart trouble. And it can be these little things like someone gets a brand new Dodge truck and you're like, well, I'm not a Dodge guy. Why do you have to say that, right? That's a me problem right there. That's something wrong in my heart. Why can't I say, dude, that's awesome, man. What a great truck you've got. But this little six ounce auditor is telling me something right now, Matt is broken in your heart. When I get jealous, when someone starts saying, hey, I've been listening to this guy. He's such a great preacher, but I got to pull him down somehow. Yeah, but his doctrine right here is not quite right. Matt, why are you doing that? Because I got a heart trouble. And my six ounce auditor is telling me, Matt, you got heart trouble. You're basing your value on something other than the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You're basing it on something other than the good news that you have been bought with a price, that you belong to God's family, that you've been adopted into it and you've won the lottery. You're basing it on something else now and you got heart trouble. That's what this little six ounce auditor tells me all the time. When I get boastful or when I get arrogant, it's telling me something's wrong in my heart. And my wife and my kids and my community and my coworkers are gonna suffer because of my heart, which is heard through my tongue. The Bible says this about believers. You can either have your heart, your tongue, set on fire of hell, 
which is verse six of James. Or Acts chapter two, you can have your words set on fire by tongues of the Holy Spirit. It's one or the other. And as believers, we get that choice. What's firing up my words right now? Is it God's spirit, beautiful, brilliant, fruitful, wonderful, or the fires of hell? Which one is it? This isn't gonna be a sexy message, but I don't think there's a more important message. And as I thought through this text, you know, I thought about different ways of doing this. I just started dreaming. I started dreaming about, here's what I dream of Edgewater. I started praying this stuff. You know what my dream for Edgewater is? This is a place where people are affirmed. I was talking to somebody after service and we're talking about this. I said, very few people need to be told they're in the dark. You know what they need to be told? The sun's coming up. They need to be given hope and affirmation. You don't have to tell them, you're a dark, dirty, nasty person. Most people already know that. What they need to be told is, hey, good news. The sun can come up for you. That's what they need to be told. That we need to be a place that affirms people. You're awesome. God is good. He's got good plans for you. We need Barnabases. Do you guys know who Barnabas is? If you read the book of Acts, there's this guy that shows up over and over. His name is Barnabas. And he gets saved and he starts walking this community of faith. And then they nickname Barnabas something. They nickname him the son of encouragement. What a great nickname is that? The son of encouragement. If someone was to give you a nickname, would the nickname be son of encouragement? Or would it be son of a gun or something? Man, I pray we got a bunch of Barnabases here. And we are so known for our encouragement, it becomes the very nickname people ask us. My dream is that we're a place that affirms people. My dream is that we stop boasting about our own little things because we're so insecure. And we don't have to do that anymore. And we start boasting in this. It's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. By the way, if you're wise and you're boasting your wisdom, you're probably not wise. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth, right? That's not what we're supposed to be boasting about. Instead, boast that you know me, that you know my righteousness, that you know my justice. In this, heaven delights. You wanna delight heaven? Turn away from myopic, small, jealous, envious boasting and start talking about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And heaven throws a party. I love that. That we'd be a people that get our identity, not from how big a church is or how much cash you have that you got bennies falling out of your back pocket or how great of athletes your kids are. Man, the ducks were at my peewee football game. That we don't boast in that stuff, Right? We're boasting that God has adopted us and brought us in. And that's what we're boasting in. That's my dream for this place. I dream it. I dream that the fires of gossip, the hell fires of gossip are put out in this place. That it just doesn't ever happen here. I know people that will say this. They'll say, Matt, but, but man, people just come and tell me stuff. They just gossip to me. There's a proverb that says this about gossip. 
It says, where there is no wood, that fire goes out. Yeah, people talk to you because you're a quart of dry wood and lighter fluid, man. Put out those fires. And here's how you do it. You go Matthew 18. You say, hold, hold on a second. Matthew 18, Jesus says this about us, about this family, that this is how we're supposed to walk forward. Jesus says, you first go to that person. Have you done that yet? Well, I'm just getting counsel. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, well, first get counsel from people. Jesus says, step one, go to that brother. Go to that sister. Talk with them. Because if you make peace, you've won a brother, you've won a sister. That's step one. That's how the hellfire of gossip goes out. Now, there's no wood here. I'm going to them, talking to them first. I try to work this thing out as brothers and sisters in faith and watch and see what God does for us. Like, it's powerful. Do you know the power of those kind of words? They create something. Genesis 1, they create something. They can create an Eden. I'll give you one example. So this happened 1996. And I still remember it. I still remember the phrase that was spoken to me. So in 96, I was trying to make a decision like, do I go into the ministry or do I stay as an engineer in business? And the vast majority of my crew was saying, stay in business, man. That'd be stupid. Don't do that. Are you kidding me? So I'm really being swayed to, yeah, I'll just stay in business. There was one guy, I had this conversation with him. And when I started talking about it, he said this, he said, dude, that would be awesome. And he used this phrase, that would be a quantum leap for you. I'm like, quantum leap? What a great phrase. 23, 24 years, I still remember it. Quantum leap. That man that said that goes to church here. That man who said that, his name is Jack Straw. He is a son of encouragement. And he might be the reason why there's Edgewater Christian Fellowship today. Because he said just the right word at just the right time, and I've never forgot it. Quantum leap. That's how powerful your words are. My hope is this. About 2,000 people will come through these doors today. What if 2,000 of us, what if we all decided, today I'm going to text somebody, I'm gonna write a letter to somebody, I'm gonna call somebody, and I'm gonna affirm them. What if we did that? What if 2,000 affirming words came out of Edgewater Christian Fellowship today? Does that change the spiritual temperature of our city? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's 10% of our That's 10% of our town. What if we did that for the next seven days till next Sunday? Every day we just said, I'm going to find somebody prayerfully, thoughtfully, biblically to say to them, let me affirm you in this. This is what I've seen in you. What if we did that? 14,000. Closing on half of our population gets an affirming word. What would happen to our city? Man, what do we create here? I think something incredible. There was a guy for a long time, he would send me like this, because I don't affirm very well. (laughs) It's not my gift. So he would send me like twice, three times a week, he'd just say, who have you affirmed today? It was one of the best things that ever happened to me, because I just started this discipline of, okay, that's right, okay, Lord, who should I affirm today? And I had to think it through. So healthy, because I want to be a Barnabas. That's who I want to be. And here's the last one, and we're done. Who here wants to be used by God? I hope we all do. I hope we would say, yes, I want to be used by God. Listen to this text. 
And it's King James Version because I love the way the KJV says it. It's Jeremiah 15, 19. And it says this. If, God speaking to Jeremiah, if you will take the precious from the vial, then you shall be as my mouth. What a great text is that. Jeremiah, beginning of his book. Jeremiah, if you want to be used by me, here's what you got to learn. You've got to learn to take precious things out of vile situations. What's the natural order of our world? Do they take the precious from the vile? No, what do we do? We take the vile from the precious. We're always looking for the TMZ, negative, nasty, gross stuff. So what Jeremiah is told is, listen, if you want to be my prophet, if you want to speak my word, you got to reverse that. You got to be the kind of person that even in vile, hard, difficult situations, you are looking by the power of the spirit to say, I'm extracting the good from that. I'm going to affirm something in this. And then you'll be my mouth. How powerful is that? Well, how do you do that? Here's the best story I have on it. It's Jesus. In John chapter four, he meets up with this woman at the well. And this woman has been married five times and divorced five times. And she's currently trading sex for rent. And Jesus knows this. So he carries on this conversation with this woman. And as the conversation progresses, he gets to the point where he says this, okay, woman, go call your husband. And she, requ- she replies coyly, kind of deceptively, yeah, I don't have a husband. And so in verse 18, Jesus says, you lying adulteress. I'm totally kidding. He did not say that. <laughs> what did he say? He says, oh, good answer. Because you've had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. In that, you have answered well. How brilliant is that? Doesn't let her off the hook, but so gracious and so kind and so precious in the way that he treated an image bearer. It's beautiful. Doesn't mean we're pushovers. Doesn't mean we ever don't correct, but we do it in a Jesus spirit of love and kindness, even extracting precious from very difficult situations. Man, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. That's what I want. So maybe there's somebody here right now that you know you've heard. Here's what James does to me, by the way. I've repented more on the last couple pages of James than probably in the last couple of years. Because doesn't James do that to you? You're just like, oh man. Like James, you need the cross. You need grace. You need forgiveness because it's wisdom literature. And very few of us actually live wise all the time. So James just forces you to say, God, help me. Maybe there's somebody that you've hurt with your words. You've started a hellfire and you know you need to make it right. Man, make it right. Win a brother, win a sister back. Maybe your tongue gets you in trouble all the time and you know, I can't tame this thing. Here's the best news of all. There is someone that can tame your tongue. There is somebody. And so we get to go to the table, maybe no better place than the table to find power that we don't have of ourselves. So as you're getting communion, I want you to just really think about where you're at. Where is my tongue? What has this six ounce auditor told me about my heart? Do I have heart trouble right now? And think about it and carry that for a second. And then we'll take communion together. So I'm gonna pray 
and then you guys can be released to take communion. If you're on this side, you head out that direction, grab it, come back around. This side, that direction, come back around. Hold it and we'll take it together. So Jesus today. For me personally, no more weighty message than this one. Because I have both felt the power of the tongue. And I also have misused the power of the tongue. And I know that I need your spirit. I need you to create in me a right spirit, renew in me a right heart because I can't do it on my own. And many of us feel that same way. And so we come as beggars, hungry for the bread of life. Meet us, I pray. And I ask this in your name. Amen.